0: seeking the Lord's
1: blessing. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, passage we read, Romans chapter 8, and let's read again verses 18 and 19. Romans 8, reading verses 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing With the glory that is revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Especially verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. These I suppose are well known words and a very powerful chapter of Scripture for us in Romans chapter 8. And as Paul brings these words to us, he brings in verse 18 this great comparison where he is considering or reckoning between two different things. And he brings the tension that belongs to the believer before us. He presents it as the tension between the present difficulty and the future blessing, and how the Christian lives in that situation, and in the tension of that situation, through the hardship and difficulties of the day in which they live, and the promise of what is to be given to them. And so there is this great tension that Paul compares, and he does so as a word of encouragement to encourage the believer to encourage the church to encourage the Christians to endure patiently with their present situation with whatever difficulty and tribulation that belongs to them in their current setting that whatever their circumstance currently is that they would be able to employ the eyes of faith to be able to see beyond what is present hard painful and difficult and hold on to that eternal perspective to see the wonder of the glory that is to belong to the people of God. Here we have a very real and practical lesson from the apostle in how to live the gospel out, to realize that the gospel is to be affirmed in its fullness, not just in the moment that we come to faith, but that we would continue to persevere, holding on to the reality of the promise of what God is going to do for us and give us. The great affirmations of what will be ours by faith, to hold on, to keep on going, to persevere in the way. What Paul says here in verse 18, I consider the present suffering of... uh, Sorry, I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing. He says there is this real incomparison, this lack of balance between these two things, that they don't really fit together, that it is beyond compare, two different levels, two entirely different things. And so when Paul is speaking in this way, what he's teaching the Christian to do is not just to persevere, But he's teaching them how to suffer. He's teaching them how to suffer. And he knows how to do this himself. And he realizes here in this that this is part of our entering into the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts we were reminded that it is through great tribulation we will enter into the kingdom of God. But what Paul is actually saying is that this suffering is worth it. It isn't at all in comparison to what will be, what is going to be ours. And so Paul is directing us how to suffer, how to enter rightly into the kingdom of God. And I want to just look at a couple of things here with respect to what has been taught us in these verses. Uh, and first of all, I want us just to reflect on what Paul says at the beginning He speaks of the suffering of this present time. Paul speaks of our suffering. And our suffering is multifaceted. It isn't a simple thing. Suffering just doesn't belong to one thing, one situation, one hardship that we presently have in life. That we take the whole of our life and the whole of what we are and that we see that there are different levels to our suffering. And the first level is is the consequence of sin in the world. And that's not something that is particular to the believer. The consequence of sin in the world and the pain and the hardship that is endured because of it is common to all humanity. It's common to every man and woman, every boy and girl. It's common with ourselves and with our neighbor. We all suffer because of of the consequence of sin. Sin has come into our world, come into our lives, and it has permeated everything, every environment, every relationship, every situation. There is this taint of sin, and we know it and we feel it, just like other people do. We know what it's like to be sick, we know what it's like to be ill, we know what it's like to have fear, we know what it's like to be anxious or discouraged. We know what it's like to have weakness, to suffer in our health. We know what it's like too when we come face to face with the reality of death. These things are all common, they're not particular to the children of God. Everyone suffers because of this, and it is all because of the source that is sin. Sin has done this, it's destroyed everything. It's broken lives, it's broken relationships, it's broken people. It's left in its wake this devastating cull and ultimately costs us our lives. The wages of sin is death. But even in these situations, there is an opportunity that God doesn't want us to waste our suffering, to waste these opportunities. To find in him a relief to our pain. And this is our message to a broken world. To those who are around us. Who are suffering and discouraged and hurting. Those who are facing the consequence of sin in relationships and in life. We tell them that there is good news in the gospel. There is comfort. There is relief. There is grace to be found in God. There is peace and joy. And so, the suffering that we're called to endure in all its different ways and methods, we ought not to waste, but to find God in it. We believe, of course, that God has foreordained whatsoever shall come to pass. Uh, and the reality is, we find it easy to say that when life is working out for us in a happy sense. But God is in our pain too. Grace is there when life is difficult. God has a reason for our anguish and our agony. And God is there inviting us to himself. Even in the most trying circumstance of life. Not to waste our opportunity. But to come to him. To find relief and grace. To find help. We have suffering as a consequence of sin. We have suffering too as a result of our faith. Suffering as a result of faith. And this comes back to the great principle of the histo- hostility of the world to our faith. Faith to the Christian gospel. Jesus speaks of it himself. He promises it a number of times that the world will hate us because it hated him. It speaks of being very much part of our identity in discipleship, that we are called to suffer, to be persecuted, to face tribulation, that this is the great promise of salvation very much expected as part of the Christian life and the Christian who sees this in its proper context realises that this is a badge of honour because this is a part of the result of our Christian witness If if they persecuted our Lord they will persecute us I spoke to somebody recently who told me about his own work situation before he retired and how he was being mocked and derided for his faith a group of his colleagues were around him mocking him asking him did he really believe these things and he turned round and said to the man who was leading this and he said to him thank you thank you for so they persecuted my lord for him it was a badge of honour Because the world stands at enmity to the gospel. It doesn't find a place for the gospel. It wants to push it out. And for us, we realize that the hostility is growing. And those who are opposed to the gospel are becoming more vehement. And yet the situation around the world is far worse than ours. People are dying for their faith. They're being beheaded. We see it on our TV screens, people who are being beheaded because they're Christians, thrown out of their homes where generations of Christians have been cast out of these towns, being hunted by the enemy. And yet, we may face our own discomfort. Maybe at work. Maybe at home. But we have to realise The great wonder of this as a badge of honour for those so they hated our Lord. And there is also part of suffering that becomes part of the Christian life and the process of holiness. In the work of sanctification and in the painful process of growth in our own Christian life. Jesus tells us that if we are to follow him, we need to deny ourselves. We need to take up our cross. We need to do this daily and follow Christ. We're told that we need to put to death the deeds of the body. We have to deal with sin. We have to realize that if we walk in the Christian road, it is a narrowing way. Not just a narrow way, but a narrowing way. Putting to death everything that hinders us from holiness. Seeking to live the life of faith. Battling with everything that prohibits us of being more like Christ. This is the painful process of sanctification, another aspect of our suffering of this present time. But when Paul is speaking of this suffering, he underlines for us here what nature this suffering is. He says it's of this present time. It all belongs to here and now and this day. It all belongs to this present time. And this present time doesn't last. No one needs to tell you this. No one needs to stand here and tell you that this is passing. The psalm that we sung speaks of the brevity of life. Seventy, maybe even eighty years. It's just brief. It's like the flower on the field. In a moment it's gone. It cannot last. It is temporary. All this will pass. All this will be gone. All this will crumble and be over. And it will all be gone when our Savior returns and brings us all before the great judgment seat. And the great wonder of this is that this is what the church is called to pray for. Thy kingdom come. Or as we have it in Revelation, in the last chapter of the Bible, Come, Lord Jesus, There is the church in the book of Revelation pictured in the growing hostility and persecution of the world, crying out ultimately, How long, Lord? How long till you come again? And this will be the prayer of the church as the end comes, with the discomfort of the persecution and the pain, and the church crying for Jesus to come in his judgment. This is all temporary this is the present passing age in a moment it will be gone the sound of the trumpet will herald the return of our saviour and Paul comes with this spiritual realism that the Christian life is not trouble free it's not an easy existence it's cause for the hard miles of discipleship it calls us to truly follow Jesus, to be truly His disciples. And Paul knows the suffering of the present time. Paul knows he's counted the cost and he's reflected and he considers that it's worth it. It's worth every aspect of suffering. And so Paul moves on and he says in verse 18. That it's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And so what Paul is saying is, regardless of how hard these things are, it will be over and something greater and better will come. Something that is beyond compare. The Christian's glory. He speaks of this very much in verses 28 to 30. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and then he speaks there and he says those whom he justified he glorifies and paul speaks very much in a similar way in second corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 17 this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that god is at work in you in your pain and suffering, and he's bringing something far greater, something far better. The one who has given his son for you, he's working everything together for your good. And when you see Jesus, you will be like him. This is beyond comparison. Paul says that here, it's not worth comparing, the word reckon is used here. I cannot even begin to reckon, evaluate, it's not the same thing. It's of no similar value, it's nothing like it. It's absolutely beyond compare. It's so glorious. And when we think of these things, we think in here of what Paul is saying to us in Romans, we're thinking of the glory that is to be in heaven. No more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. The former things will have passed away. No more death. Paul is saying that's what belongs to us. That's the promise of the gospel. That's what it means to be saved. To enter into the paradise of God. The place that he has prepared. This great, wondrous, glorious place. He says it's going to be revealed to us. A more accurate rendering would be revealed in us. It's not just that we're going to see this. We're going to be this. He's going to beautify his bride. Gathering all the peoples from all over the world. Everyone who loves him. Everyone who knows him. Everyone who is saved. They're going to come together as one people. And they're going to be free from sin forever. And they're going to be like Christ. And so it isn't just the environment, but the believer too, that is beautified, glorified in this great wonder. Paul tells us that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed to us. And then he gives us evidence. And Paul is stacking up his case here. And he is affirming everything he is saying. He gives us a testimony of the same. He says, I'm going to show you the evidence of these things. Verse 22, he says, creation evidences these things. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We spoke earlier today about the God who thunders. But there is a world that quakes. And this is speaking to us too. A quaking world. And Paul says here, the whole creation is groaning. These pains are being expressed by the environment in which you live. Here is Paul, 2,000 years ago, telling us our world is sick. And we're only now catching up with Paul. We're seeing there's an ecological crisis. We're seeing the world quaking and shaking. The greatest mountain in the whole world shaking twice in the last two weeks. Speaking to us all around us in our environment, a world that is sick. And dying. our scientists going into the universe. Wandering and looking in space. Is it a different environment that man can be on. Because this world is sick. It's corrupt. And we know where this has come from. How the ground has been cursed. Because of the sin of the man. And it's speaking to us. And testifying to us. And the reality is. We've got nowhere else to go. We can't look to the stars in the sky for a new world but to the God who is in heaven. And we come and we see the wonder of God's word telling us for 2,000 years that the world is sick and only now we're catching up. We're just catching up. We're just scratching the surface in all our discoveries. We're reevaluating everything that we assumed. Time and again catching up with what God says in his word. God speaking to us. And we're reminded here of the shaking of the world, The great pain. You remember how Jesus spoke of this. His disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 24. And, he said, and they said to him, what's the sign of the end? And Jesus says, I'll tell you the sign of the end. Many are going to say that I'm Christ. And they're not. Leading many astray. That's false religion. Then there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And he says don't be alarmed. He says nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdoms. Famines. Earthquakes. All of these things are to be. And they're all speaking to you. Testifying to you. And telling you. That the world is coming to an end. That Jesus is coming. And he says then in verse 8 of Matthew 24. This is just the beginning of the birth pains. The beginning of the end. Is here. And he says. They're going to deliver you up. The Christian. Put you to death. You're going to be hated of all nations. He speaks also. Of the gospel being proclaimed. Throughout the whole world. Telling us and convincing us again and again that this pain and evidence of creation groaning is a testimony to be ready that Jesus is coming that everything scripture has promised and prophesied is been fulfilled and even the abandon of God Paul has dealt with already in Romans 1, societies turning away from God and doing unnatural acts. Paul is reminding us that it is a testimony that this, the end is coming. More than this, in verse 21 of chapter Romans 8, the creation, is speaking there of it, longing for this to happen. Longing for this to happen. And when Paul sees this and the scientists look at everything that's going wrong in the world and all of these manifestations of the creation testifying to its sickness and they think that the world is dying. And Paul says it's not the pain of death in verse 22. It's the pain of childbirth. Something new is happening. Something different is going to happen. The turmoil is the beginning of this. And the promise of Jesus is coming, but the work is the beginning of a new order. That things are going to change. The ground that was cursed because of man is going to be redeemed. Just like man is to be redeemed. So that man who is redeemed has a fitting environment provided for him. A place to be. And that the wonder of the resurrection, that he is going to come and inhabit this place to fulfill the great creation mandates, to stand there in this environment, in fellowship with God. This is what Paul speaks of here in verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is what we long for, the fulfillment of redemption in our resurrection. And we see it all, our redemption under the redemption of our environment as the product of the saving work of Jesus Christ. The creation is testifying to you that these things are to be. And Paul says we groan too in verse 23. We groan inwardly. The great weight upon us causing us to groan. groan, Testifying to us, speaking to us because we often even get discouraged with ourselves and Romans 7, Paul speaks famously in this way. Verse 15, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He gets discouraged with this. In verses 19 to 23, he says the same thing. He wants to do good, but he's doing what is wrong, and he's groaning. The great weight and burden of corruption upon him, and he groans, and he sighs, and he longs for what is better, and this language really reminds us of Egypt and the bondage of slavery and the children of Israel there crying out, groaning and sighing, longing to be free, longing to be redeemed. And the reality of this picture is here, the wonderful salvation and redemption of God's people that we groan within ourselves, testifying that we long for what is better. We long for what is to be. We're longing earnestly for the glory to be revealed in us. And so we're in harmony with a creation that's in pain, looking for what is far greater. And so too, the presence of the Spirit. We read of this, of course, uh, throughout chapter 8. Uh, and we see here how the, the Spirit is a gift That we receive by faith. And this spirit is the gift of the promise. That God's at work in us. And he's going to fulfill that work. And it's going to culminate. When we rise again. And when we will be free from our sin. And when we will see Jesus. And be like him. The spirit is that great deposit, gift, promise. And so we come here and we come with this great word of hope. For Paul is considering this great tension and he says there's no comparison to what you're currently going through and what is still to be. The great wonder of the fulfillment of the promises of God and the gospel. And so what we're called to is endurance. To stay faithful. To stay committed. And it's becoming harder and harder to be so. But we're reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed. Day by day. What Paul is calling us to. In the midst of the difficulties of this present age. And the suffering and the pain that you go through day by day. Is to be patient. Is to maintain your faith and your hope not to lose heart but keep looking towards the promise keep looking towards the glory that is to be and so I think really what Paul is reminding us of here is that whatever causes us suffering in this life whatever caused our spirit to sigh Paul says, Keep on going. He says, Press on. We have to press on. This is a light, momentary affliction. And when we get there, it will seem like nothing. We're called to endure, to fix our focus on that greater reward and that greater promise to have the correct perspective to live out our faith in this life in this world and in this age and in the midst of it all that we have a remedy for the pain and brokenness of life and it is the promise of the reality of heaven it's ours if we don't lose heart if we keep on pressing on if we walk and live by faith to take hope with us so that we will be able to say in our own extremity I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray together. God our Father in heaven we give thanks to you for your word and its great blessings and encouragements to us. We pray, Lord, that you would grant to us to live by faith, to live out our hope, to demonstrate and manifest what we believe and trust with regards to the gospel, that we would commit ourselves, Lord, to whatever your will is for us, that we would know and understand that your reward is far greater. Bless us and we pray, and forgive us, Our sins, in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Let's sing then to God's praise in Psalm 65 on page 82. Psalm 65 on page 82. Psalm 65 at verse 6 By strength and power you formed the hills, you hushed the ocean's voice, you calmed the tumult of their waves, and still the people's noise. Those who inhabit distant lands, with all regard your ways. When morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of praise. You tend the land and water it, you make it rich and good. As you ordained, your streams are full to give the people food. Psalm 65 Verses 6 to 9, the praise of God.